Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us deep roots in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off today by giving you some freedom. You have the freedom not to have to know everything. You have the freedom to not have to do everything. You have the freedom not to have to be everything. You have the freedom not to have to believe everything. You have the freedom to be more than your worst moments and your worst failures. Take a deep breath. Let Jesus bring you the freedom that you need in order to be a child of God. And then let your prayer be that he would help you to teach others to experience the same freedom. So today's parable about the weeds showing up in the middle of the wheat is about judgment. Now, the weeds didn't just happen. The enemy, Satan, intentionally sowed the weeds in the midst of the wheat. Now, before Jesus can even finish his story, the disciples are jumping up and down, ready to go get their weed whackers and wipe out all those mean and nasty weeds. Problem is, they don't know the difference between the wheat and the weeds. But they are ready to whack some anyway. And if some wheat gets taken out, so be it. There's a lot more of that where it came from. How many of your friends don't attend any church? And out of those, how many used to attend church? And how many of those stopped attending because the church, and by the way, that could be the pastor, the leadership, a member or several members in the church, or maybe there was a teaching or a practice in the church, hurt them? They're hurt. It caused a crisis of faith. And they blame Jesus for what the church did to them. Over one-third of those who attended church before COVID have stayed home. A bunch of them have said, we're never going back. We found other things to fill our life up with. But many of them also said that they would come back. And this is where I see a real-life example of our scripture lesson from today. See, the one-third, the ones that stopped coming during COVID and haven't come back... You know, many were active beyond just holding a pew down on Sunday morning. I mean, they looked just like the wheat. They looked just like us. By the way, how long can they be gone from church before we can assume that they really are just weeds and not wheat? And by the way, who gets to decide if they're weeds or not? To pull out our weed whackers and let it fly? Not what Jesus wants. Not for them. And by the way, not for us. See, this is where judgment comes in. At Matthew 7, great lesson. This is where Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. And see, here's the thing. If we go out and weed whack them, what's to keep someone from weed whacking us if we go through a crisis of faith and stop attending church for a few weeks? We cannot judge a person's soul. We can evaluate their life. We can guess at motives. But everyone is fighting a battle that we know nothing about. A far better verse for this, by the way, comes out of John chapter 12. Jesus says, if anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I don't judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And I can already hear what you're saying. If Jesus can't or won't judge people, what's the purpose of the church and faith and following him? I mean, is everybody saved regardless of what they do or don't do? Jesus continues, I do not judge him. The one who rejects me and doesn't accept my sayings has this as his or her judge. The word I have spoken. The word I have spoken will judge them on that last day. Ouch. 
See, it's not God who, a God who judges us in the strictest sense of the term. God simply pronounces the judgment that we brought on ourselves. We make the choices, and God honors our choices. That becomes really personal, doesn't it? I keep pointing out for myself as much as for you that the law isn't there to condemn us. So, yeah, I know, that that's, that's the way we see it. But that's its alien work. See, because like St. Paul, we cannot do the things we're supposed to do, and we do do the things we're not supposed to do, we need help. Whether we want to believe it or not, God gave us the law to help us. Oh, it, it does wind up condemning us, but, but only so that it can restore us. More and more we read in the news or experience a defiance of law and rule, whether it's a child who simply says, I am not going to do what my parents or other authorities expect from me, and it doesn't matter where that child is, 2 or 16. Or adults who think that they're immune to rules and laws, especially things like, oh, speed limits, red lights, stop signs. There is an indifference in our world today. You do not have the right to judge me, said a defendant to a judge in the courtroom last week. I'll let the irony of that statement sit for a minute. How about the two men that walked out of Home Depot with a cart full of power tools while everybody video them and they just dared them to stop them? Or the three ladies that went into Old Navy in Waikeli and filled up garbage bags in a huge duffel bag and just walked out of the store? Or the two thieves breaking into Konecki's? They don't care. Even when they get caught, they don't care. That can weigh heavily on us. I mean, why should we strive to obey the law when they don't? If they get caught, it's like they get rewarded for their crime instead of being punished. And by the way, those of us who try so hard, often we get punished or wind up bearing the costs and, and so much other of those who don't. So what is the difference between the wheat and the weeds? The Bible proclaims clearly at some point in the future, God will bring down the final curtain on history and, well, all of our days will be judged. Not just the things that we said and did, but also the judgments that we pronounced on others, our totality is going to be judged, not just parts of it. And that will include, by the way, all the parts that we really, really tried hard to keep hidden. The only people who are really excited about the judgment day are those who think that they really are better than everybody else. They've judged the world, found it wanting, and they believe that God's actually going to invite them to sit at his right and his left when they get to heaven because they are so holy and God's going to say, there has been no one like you. You are so amazing. Now, the rest of us, we may not be afraid of that last day because we know Jesus and we know the gospel and we have this tiny understanding of grace. But we're not sure that we want it to come anytime soon. I got a birthday party for one of my little grandkids and I got two more grandkids on the way and so I'm not in a hurry for Judgment Day. But there have been a few moments where things were so bad in the world, things that were happening to people I know that I found myself muttering, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. You've probably had a few of those as well. In those moments that we look around and we see some friends who we're not sure whether they are wheat or they're weeds, and we ask God for just a little bit more time so we can work with them, we want to give them every possible chance that we can. The church has often used the judgment day as a very large hammer to hit the not churched over the head with. Repent, turn, lest ye be sinners in the hands of an angry God. And I suppose 40 or 50 years ago, it worked, kind of. Revivals broke out. People amended their ways. Things got better for a little while. 
the law did its work. But today those tactics aren't working nearly as well. Uh, tell and not believe they're going to hell and they'll laugh at you. Uh, they may not even believe such a place exists, or if it does, how much worse could it be than the life that they're living through right now? And here's where the sermon turns into a study on vocation. Frederick Beekner said that your vocation is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. It's who God created you to be. It's not your job, it's your calling. And the difference between the two is eternity. See, as believers, our life is about more than going to church, being nice, giving an offering, doing all those thou shalt and not doing all the thou shalt nots. It's our life as believers is more than just trying to become like Jesus. See, not believers can do all those things. Both believers and not believers occupy the same spaces, the same roles, the same jobs. So how are we different? I suppose we could say that we were separate and parallel, but not at all equal in the results of our life. We may be doing the same thing in the same way, but because of Jesus, the results are very, very different. See, this is called redemptive purpose, and it's eternal in its nature. Teachers, doctors... Nurses, pilots, neighbors, pizza makers, the person who stands in the middle of all the self-checkout lanes trying to keep us honest. We all do our thing, whatever it is. By the way, if you have a believer and a not-believer doing the exact same job next to each other, it's going to look exactly the same. But as believers, we see another dimension to the people around us. A soul, an eternity, a life that with the right encouragement and opportunity can blossom into something eternal they go from being weeds to wheat. Our vocation has two elements, the one who calls us and the actual calling. And both, by the way, are necessary. You can't have a call without a caller. God has called you by name. He equipped you and set you apart. By the way, if he expects you to do something, you have everything you need or you have access to everything you need. By the way, there, there's a whole other sermon in this. Having access to everything we need is from St. James. You have not because you ask not from his letter. If there's something in our life that God expects us to work with, we have what we need, but sometimes we have to look around and develop relationships and resources and attitudes that allow us to get our work done. In other words, we know we might be called, but sometimes we are called to work with others or, or to develop partnerships, and, and sometimes we have not because we ask not, and that's what James wants us to, to get. So you can embrace your calling and let God's grace flow through you. And using our lesson from last week, allow God to bring about a harvest of 30, 60, or 100-fold. Or you can become apathetic or completely reject your calling. And not only turn into a weed yourself, but turn a lot of the people around you into weeds. Because you see, one thing we know is weeds spread. Let me give you a quick example. How serious do we take our calling? By the way, on Sunday morning, I'm going to have Kayla help me with this, but imagine if I said to you, okay, go get so-and-so, okay? Now, I'm calling you, and I'm tasking you with going and getting so-and-so, and I say, this is very important. We don't want them to miss, uh, be late to school. We don't want them to miss a meeting. It's dinner time. There's something important going on, so I say, go get so-and-so. Now, you're in the middle of something. You don't want to be bothered. So you simply turn and yell, hey, so-and-so. The problem is they're in the room, door closed, headphones on, playing a game. They don't even hear you. Or, or maybe you take it a little more seriously. You go by and you barely tap on the door and you go, hey, pastor wants you. 
It's also possible that you actually go in the room, tap them on the shoulder and say, pastor wants you. And they just go, I'm in the middle of something, leave me alone. In other words, there's all sorts of parts to this calling. How serious do we take it? Do we just yell and then go back to whatever we're doing and never think about it? Do we actually go? Do we follow up? Okay. But also, we have to understand that when we call someone else, how they respond is, is up to them. Do you understand the importance of the calling? Do you see your role in, in the bigger picture? Do you understand what happens if you don't embrace your calling? And can you make this personal in the best sense of the word? Rarely does God issue the call in such a specific and particular way that it's like a checklist with absolutely no wiggle room. Check, 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 and we're done. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Wives, honor your husbands. Each of those is vague enough and open-ended enough that miscommunication is possible even if both sides are trying to honor God and actually fulfill what it is that the Bible has said to them. Let alone, by the way, what happens if they don't take it seriously. How do you know you've loved, obeyed, honored enough? I mean, where's the line? Is there a, well, you've done enough, you know, you did everything you could, but you know what, they're not paying attention, so you're released from your call. Does God allow for the unique circumstances and unique people that we're dealing with? In other words, whether it's culture, whether it's just they come from a different place, that they're a different age, does God take all of those things? Because let's face it, today, I'm old-fashioned, I write letters and cards. My children text. Now we got a whole generation coming up that's, that's even sensing and doing things very differently than we do. Is there a finish line for everybody that's the same or is it different? To answer that, we got to know what the end result, that the purpose of our calling is. And if it's just a job, then all we got to do is turn in our time. Clock in, clock out, do the minimum. And then as Doris Day used to sing, K-Sarasara, whatever will be, will be. It's not our problem. It's not our monkey. It's not our circus. You know, we just, well, it's just the way it is. Go to the other extreme. If we are striving to be perfect, to become holy, totally and completely, then it becomes a 24-7 job. We can't even relax for a minute. we got to give up sleep. we got to give up work. we got to give up everything because it is our job, our calling to pester everybody in our family, our neighborhood, everybody, and just keep saying, do you know Jesus? And by the way, until they say yes, we just keep hammering at them because that's who we are. Or perhaps, well, actually, in fact, definitely, there is a more balanced biblical approach. You see, God doesn't want anyone to perish. God's not in the weed-whacking business, and he really doesn't want us in the weed-whacking business either. He put all of us here to take care of one another, a community of faith, a community both of, for, and with one another. We are called as a community. And by the way, when we fail, it's not just God we fail. It's also everybody else in the community. And by the way, when somebody else experiences failure, we're affected. This is like, you know, you throw the rock and the rings go out or you touch a spider web and the whole thing, you know, or the whole butterfly effect. Luther in his large catechism says, Satan will try and undermine the social, religious, and political structures of our world, not in order to just mess with the church and the gospel, but because it also deprives the world of a stable life that allows for support, nourishment, growth, and stability. When Satan plants his weeds, we all lose. 
I need to add to Luther, Satan will try to undermine your family, your relationships, and your neighborhood because he knows that if he can mess those things up, the weeds will just spread. Weed and wheat. The not church go about their life, even the good ones doing all they do, whether it's out of guilt or a need or goodness of the heart, and everything they do comes to naught because when the world ends, so does all of their work. Lives are lost. Hate and pain flourish. Love is lost. God weeps because that is not the way it's supposed to be. So what is your calling? Prophet Isaiah talks about how all of our deeds, even our most righteous ones, and he's talking about those of us who believe are like filthy rags before God. And i got to tell you, the first time I read that, I totally and completely disagreed with the prophet Isaiah. He might be a prophet, but how can it be that those of us who are trying, how is it possible that the good things that we try to do are like filthy rags before God? The difference between the wheat and the wheat, between all of our works, in the end, the wheat sees a reflection of a creating, redeeming, and sanctifying God. And the weeds don't. The weed understands every person ever born was created to be unique and unreproducible and eternal. The weeds only see something that's here today and gone tomorrow. You see, all of our works, unless they are inspired by God, simply end when we end. No matter how good, no matter how righteous, no matter how well that we plan them and, and all of our good meaning to go with it. I want you to think of the people you've invested in, the sailors, soldiers, and airmen under your command, your children or your parents, the students in your classroom, the person who hands you your coffee every morning in the drive-thru, your neighbors, uh, the person who called your office and you were the one who answered the phone, the flight attendant who came by to make sure that your seatbelt was fastened. How much have you invested in them and why? What were you doing? Were you just doing your job, just putting in your time? Or did you try and see something in them? As fleeting as that moment was, in either your job or their job that made it a calling, a chance to invest, even for just a moment, in order to make an eternal difference. Why are there weeds? If the enemy sneaks in and sows seeds, it's because we aren't taking care of one another. When the soil is conditioned and the rain is enough and the root's strong, weeds cannot take hold. That's in a perfect world, and let's face it, we don't live in a perfect world. We can't get rid of all the weeds. And Jesus says that's actually not our job. But we can love and nourish and invest ourselves in one another, embrace our calling on multiple levels in order to make it harder and harder for Satan's weeds to take root. One of my favorite Old Testament verses is found in Deuteronomy. It's my prayer for all of us today. Pay attention, heavens, and I will speak. Listen, earth, to the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words settle like dew, like gentle rain on new grass and showers on tender plants. We're here to love one another, to encourage one another, to make it very hard for any of those weeds to take root. And the only way that's going to happen is for us to be a true community of faith, not just in word, but in our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.